Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments at Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson, and tonight our guests will be Ilsa and Mark from the Stinkin' Thinkin' blog and Liz Michael from Moderate. Before we start the show, I'm going to do a little plug for our book and our website. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. HAMS is a free-of-charge support group for anyone who wants to make a positive change in their drinking, from reduced drinking to safer drinking to quitting altogether. Our book is How to Change Your Drinking, a Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available on Amazon, or you can look up the information on our website, hamsnetwork.org slash book. Our first guests tonight are Ilsa and Mark from the Stinking Thinking blog, and I'm going to bring them right on here. How are you guys doing tonight? Hey, good. Yeah, thank you. Okay, tell us a little bit about uh, Stinking Thinking. Why did you found Stinking Thinking? I'll let Ilsa go first. Okay, (laughs) that's probably good so we don't talk over each other. Um, Well, we, we... we didn't have as clear a mission when we started it. It was just sort of a a place to put put things that we were finding out and things that we were thinking and and uh you know we had come from from a more um, uh support oriented community and you know it just wasn't the place to to pick a fight like this or to you know put stuff like this up so so um so we started the blog just as just to just to um you know put down our thoughts and it was it was also kind of you know pro, you know to provoke a conversation as well that we weren't able to have anywhere else and since then it seems to have evolved in a few different ways and our mission has become a little bit more clear and um you know we've been learning a lot over the last few years so so I would say, you know, at, at this point, we just are interested in in really seeing, um, you know, advancements in in addiction treatment and and uh, sort of shaking the twelve step hold off the off the industry and and getting getting that kind of faith healing out of public policy and so. How long has the blog been up? We started, uh, oh, heck, it's been about two and a half years now. I think we started in March of uh, 2009 or 2000. It's, it's about two and a half years. Is that right, Elsa, I think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it it really, it you know, when we started it, it was, um, you know, we found ourselves, we weren't even able to have this conversation because it seemed like every time that we got into Get on, got on the subject of AA, and it, it, we weren't necessarily bashing it, just questioning it. It seemed that we 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 were constantly having to mollify the, uh, you know, uh, uh, people within the group that were were somehow offended that we would we would we would even question the program. And so when we started it a couple of years ago, it was really a, a lot of it was just out of out of frustration. It was, um, you know, we wanted to say some things that we we, we couldn't say. So, uh, were you both AA members, or are you currently still AA members? No. I've never actually been an AA member. I've been to to plenty of AA meetings, but I don't think I would ever call myself uh, a member. There there was just no way that I could ever have 
I, I, I never felt, you know, I never felt I belonged. I, I did quit drinking. I quit drinking about four and a half years ago. And um, I did it on my own and largely through a, through a support group. Uh, but um, I haven't, um, I was never an AA member. Yeah, I wasn't either. I, I, I you know, I kind of grew up around it and, you know, when I was a kid ended up, you know, in sort of meeting type situations that my mother would put me in. But but um, it was always something that I, that I, that I rejected, and so that was, you know, when 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 it came time for me to start figuring out what I was going to do to to um, to deal with my drinking, I was I was uh, there there wasn't much to m- much to choose from, and and um, you know I was really surprised to learn that a lot of the things that I thought were just uh, facts about addiction and alcoholism and you know what it takes to get sober what sobriety means and all of that stuff that I that I thought was just you know it was just in the conventional wisdom it ended up that it's you know pure AA mythology so that was a real shock to me to find out you know how how you know the ideas about progressive disease and and or or you know comparing it to an allergy or just all these different kinds of things that you sort of take for granted about addiction just have no basis in in any research or science or anything so that was that was uh and and like mark said you know when you try to sort of point that stuff out it, when you're in a you know in a recovery situation people get very angry at you <laughs> yeah you know in fact i went into my quit presupposing a, a number of things that I, you know, I had just assumed that there had been research done, that there was a clinical foundation of these beliefs, that, um, that it, 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 you know, I, I did know something about AA, and I knew that there were some, some, you know, religious tones, but I had never bothered to even read the big book at that time. Um, and and, and a, lot of, a, a lot of the ideas I had about addiction, I mean, I can remember um, in January of uh what, five and a half, six years ago before I had even quit myself. I found myself in an intervention with a friend of mine um, telling him, along with his family, that there's no way that you can quit on your own. You cannot do that. You have to have help. Um, and um, he didn't take it. He didn't take the help. That was six years ago, and he he, uh, he hasn't drank since. And, um, uh, he, you know, he made me look like a teetotaler, his drinking habits. So... Um, but 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 you know I I don't think that it, that that's uncommon. I think most people, you know, believe certain things, and most of what we believe, there's really there's no basis in fact. It's just it's mythology that's been passed along and passed down as as common wisdom. But there's it's uh, there's really nothing nothing to support a lot of the ideas you know that are based that are you know are, are that the twelve step model is based on. Well, the idea that you can't quit on your own, it's, it's a really strange one, you know. Um, I don't know. I had been in Japan for several years before I uh, came back here to the U.S. and was dealing with my alcohol uh, issues here. And, you know, my best friend there, his doctor said, you have a problem with your liver. You have to stop drinking. He stopped. That's all he needed was to be told that, you know, it's, you're damaging your liver. 
and stop just like that, no programs, no anything. It's just like, well, my liver's more important than drinking. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I, I think I think with a lot of people, I mean, with you know, in my case, I avoided getting any, you know, trying to quit uh, seriously probably because I didn't want to be subjected to uh, the group therapy, that type of thing. I didn't want to have to. Um, uh, go into the. I, I don't live in the United States now, but I, I did at the time, and I and I, I didn't want to go to um, uh, uh, have my name put into the um, into the system as as needing you know uh, as getting some sort of addiction treatment for my own professional license. Um, that would have been a problem, for example, and and so I think a lot of people subscribe to that idea that you can't get help on your own, and that's a shame because a lot of people don't. Don't try to quit because because they believe that that very thing. Well, we have the yeah, numbers. We have the numbers published by the NIAAA now. In the uh, Spectrum, their magazine, they published the numbers in 2009, and uh, 56% of people uh, resolve their alcohol problem on their own without rehab, without AA, without anything. They they either quit or moderate on their own. And that's one quarter, there's one quarter that don't get better. And then the other, the smallest number of all is like 18%. I think it's 19%. Those are the ones that go to treatment and rehab. And th- and they don't all get better. No, and you know, I think there's a subset. I, I'm not an addiction expert. I'm not, I know Ilsa even knows more than I do. You certainly probably would. But, um, you know, I... I I have studied it. I have I know a lot more than I did four years ago, and I do think that there's there's a segment of of of, of drinkers that do need help, and and I wouldn't say that that those are the real alcoholics as 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 AA would define them. I think that they have physiological issues or, or maybe even some psychological issues that require some you know some help beyond just quitting on your own or with a support group or or something like that, but. Um, but you know, AA would would say that that those who do quit on their own weren't real alcoholics. And you know, I don't like to label myself, but I know how I felt. I know how I felt when I was drinking. Um, I know how difficult it was for quit to quit. I knew I was physically addicted to the stuff. Um, and um, you know, it's gobsmacking to hear them say that you know you didn't really have a problem like we did. And that's why you don't get it. That's why you don't understand what's going on. You are a hard drinker. They would they would have probably classify me as you know. So mm-hmm. well, it becomes circular reasoning. Uh, you know, it says well, oh, true alcoholics need AA to quit. So uh, everybody that quits to AA is the true alcoholic, and nobody else is. And that's just uh, that's just a circular reasoning. It doesn't have any objective criteria for defining, you know, what makes the problem. Uh, the NIAAA study I mentioned, all these people fit the qualification for alcohol dependence from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, DSM-4TR. So they all, you know, they fit the uh, official medical definition of alcoholism. But 56%, you know, resolve the problem on their own. Well, yeah, that's their definition of it. AA's definition is something entirely different. <laughs> and it, and you were talking about the circular reason, uh, the reasoning behind it. AA's definition of, of of an alcoholic is someone who can't quit on their own. If you did quit on your own, then obviously you weren't an alcoholic. That's fine. Um, and it's it's just 
um, that that's really you know it, it's really frustrating to um, um, you know to to, to, constant, to constantly hear that and you know that's one of the things we try to highlight in, in, in our blog. Is, is yeah, it's been just you know just recently I've been realizing how how loaded the language is and how you know careful you have to be when you're using terms like alcoholic and sobriety you know it only just occurred to me recently that when you use the word sober that's that's not uh that doesn't mean like the same thing as having overcome addiction that's it it's a it's a it's a uh 12 step term and it means you know that you're you're sort of you know you've reached some kind of spiritual condition and it has to do with complete abstinence and it's all these other conditions but it doesn't have anything to do with with actually overcoming an addiction and so i've been careful lately about about you know using words like that that you just mostly people in our culture just toss around like like they yeah. like they're not as loaded as they are you know yeah we don't have the same points of reference uh, when you mm-hmm. say sober when i say sober we mean Someone who doesn't drink or can control their drinking, you know, that hasn't, you know, that doesn't drink to excess. Uh, AA's definition of, of sobriety is a whole different animal. That sobriety is actually a byproduct of the of the treatment itself. They they don't have a drinking problem; they have a spiritual problem. And if you fix the spiritual problem, you're going to fix a lot of things. One of which happens to be drinking. Uh, just on our blog this this last week, a couple of days ago, we found a quote. We quote mine from some some forum somewhere of someone saying exactly that that very thing is that um uh that, that it's uh that sobriety is a byproduct of 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 spiritual fitness so we're not even we we don't even have the same the same point of reference when you say sobriety to an aa to a and you know of course when you when you when you talk about an aa you're talking you know there's different Groups within AA, you have it's almost like there's different denominations. You have the literalists who 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 take the big book as as uh, you know as, as scripture. You've got a more liberal group that you know they they look at the God of, of their understanding, not God as you understand Him, as, it, as it's written in in the big book. And they have a more uh, I guess more uh, a less literal interpretation. Of the big book and all, but so even when you're even when you're dealing with an AA, you have to you have to really learn, you know which which uh, uh, denomination within AA you're dealing with when you're talking to them, so you can so you understand the the points of reference that that they're coming from. Well, there's a lot of strange things that have happened to our language in recent times, and this is one of them. I mean, if you look up sober in the dictionary, it's it's not given to drunkenness. Uh, a person who drinks moderately is a sober person by the old dictionary definition. You know, abstinence was usually, was someone who did not engage in uh, drinking alcohol or using drugs, perhaps. It wasn't about sex. When you didn't have sex, you, it, it was called chastity. But <laughs> not people want to use abstinence to mean chastity. They want to use sober to mean abstinence, and everything is just it's a really strange perversion of the language, in my opinion. No, it really is. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, um, I, I, you know, I got, you know, my wife. She she drinks, um, 
I don't know, three, four times a week. She'll drink one beer at a time. And, you know, a case of beer would would last her a month. I, I don't think she would be a, you know, I'd call her a sober person. Mm-hmm. Well, my own experience with AA was um, it made me drink more. I mean, uh, I was already having problems. I'd had withdrawal a couple times, but never as bad as after I'd been going to AA for a while because they kept telling me alcohol was powerful, I was powerless. <laughs> And what's that going to do to a person? I mean, we don't, not all of us believe in faith healing. We don't believe in a God that comes out and cures cancer. You know, we like, we go to a surgeon for that or get radiation therapy. You know, there's the whole idea that, you know, I was going to be cured by God that was going to somehow come out of the sky. It didn't work. And being told I was powerless all the time, it just seemed, it set me up. I drank. I was going through such withdrawal. I thought I was going to die of a heart attack. You know, I was having shakes and, you know. <laughs> I had to check. I checked into detox to, to put the Valium into me. So, because my heart was like, you know, 120 beats a minute. You know, I, you know I, it seems I, to have that effect on people. I mean, not everybody, but there seems to be a, a real solid population of XAA people who say it made them drink even more. Mm-hmm. Like it just made it worse for them. And if you look on our, you know, why I left AA stories, you know, I'm sort of ticking through it in my head and I can, you know, think of a few where where they had exactly the same experience that you did, Ken. Yeah, Ken, it does. It, well, it, it, you know, the studies have shown it increases the rate of binge drinking, actually. Uh, there's a term, um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, I've just recently read about it. It's called an extinction burst. And, um, it's a psychological term where if you um you know if you go on a diet and you don't you you know you don't overeat for a while or if you if you uh if you if you quit drinking for a while um all is fine but when you finally fall off the wagon you're 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 going to overindulge you're just going to go crazy that's called an extinction burst and with AA it you know the, you know among their many trite slogans you've got one you know, it's too many and a thousand is never enough type of mentality. Uh, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. They tell you that if you go out and have one drink, you're doomed, you're done. Uh, put a fork in you. And and what I think that does is it, it puts into someone's mind that, hey, you know, I, I had the one beer, I may as well, you know, I'm done. You know, one one's too many, I may as well just fall completely off of the wagon when it really doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, I think that's very true. Uh, there's another word for that extinction burst that uh, you were mentioning. Sometimes it's called the abstinence violation effect. I don't know if you've okay. heard that term. Yeah, no. look that look that up. Uh, Dr. Alan Marlatt, who uh, recently passed away, mm-hmm. but he's done a tremendous amount of research since the 70s on alcohol, on harm reduction, all kinds of things. He coined the term abstinence violation effect, and he talks about it a lot in his book Relapse Prevention, which is a really excellent book. Well, you know, I've always um it, it, it's funny when 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 I quit um myself um I was afraid to, to even have alcohol in in mouthwash even. Um I you know, I've been so conditioned to believe, you know, that you know, I wouldn't cook with it. I would, you know, I, I wouldn't do anything because even though I wasn't in AA, the belief system that I have it's it's derived from AA, 
it you know that's the nexus for for about ninety percent of, of of what common wisdom is you know about drinking, and um, it um, you know even within my support group you know that I used that it was just it was devastating if someone slipped if someone had you know a drunken night was bad but even if someone had two or three beers it would be just you know it would be devastating and that was a mindset i had i thought you know there's uh you know that would be horrible even now i mean i you know i have no desire to drink anymore but you know if i were to go out and get liquored up tonight i wouldn't wake up tomorrow and think that all was lost you know because now i know now i understand i don't think most people under understand that you know that reminds me of a of a thread that I can't remember who posted it on the blog. But somebody posted this posted a link to to another support group where this person was just agonizing because she, she or he had had um, had uh, kombucha, you know, and mm-hmm. and that you know, didn't realize that it, you know, there was some question about its alcohol content and how much it had in it. And and this person was had, was saying, look, I have, you know, it's been really hard for me to be, to be on the wagon. And, you know, I was just enjoying this kombucha. I wasn't getting drunk off it or anything. But I swear, if you tell me that I have to restart my quit date, I'm going to go get drunk tonight. And, and there was a, and it was a discussion as to whether they should do that or not. Yeah, people and it was, you know, <laughs> yeah, people were really, like, they really wanted to tell the person. You could tell they were just like, well, you know, you'll have to pray on it because, you know, you'll have to pray about it or, you know, God will tell you what, what the right thing is or you know what the right thing to do is, you know, meaning they're not going to dare say, yeah, restart your quit date because you had kombucha, but because <laughs> Otherwise, the you know what then then why not? It, it it really was sort of a calling your bluff kind of kind of question, and I thought that was really interesting the way that it played out because because it, it's sort of like okay if you if 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 that really mattered if it really mattered then 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 what would it matter? Then why isn't this person off getting drunk? You know it, so. But they didn't want to say that it didn't matter. So I, I found that just the whole the whole way that played out just really sad and bizarre. And you know, I think the fact that we're even having conversations like that, or you know, is it a disease or is it a choice, or all, all these you know things that we go around and around about have have, have say so much about how how. Uh, how far we have to go or how you know how unscrutinized this industry is and how you know how much this this sort of crazy mythology has been able to take hold of the industry it's totally wrapped up in this these kind of crazy conversations and well it's one of those things um you know they they tell you you have to avoid all alcohol but you can't avoid all alcohol mm-hmm. your your gut makes alcohol there's yeast inside your body when you eat food you produce trace amounts of alcohol if you drink yeah, orange yeah, juice there's, there's, drink, drink a glass of orange juice there's alcohol we, we your body produces an enzyme that breaks down alcohol there's a reason for that we evolved that way it's it's in nature <laughs> Yeah, alcohol and, around and, you everywhere. And, you know, 
Yeah, and 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 you know, people. Um, I, I don't think I don't think people really understand that. But I, you know, I, I remember hearing. Um, um, that I have a I have a friend here locally where I, I live that I was taking to AA meeting to the lost driver's license. It was it was mandated there by the court, and he's still in AA actually, and and he's happy there. Um, he can drive now, so I no longer take him, but. I remember sitting in the back of a meeting last year, and there was a 10-minute conversation about mouthwash and true sobriety, and I just, um, uh, you know, I just shook my head. I didn't say anything, but it just, you know, it's 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 really amazing how puritanical <laughs> we are about these things. Yeah, I know. I was talking to somebody about the orange juice thing once, and they were adamant. Orange juice absolutely contains no alcohol. I think they were having orange juice for breakfast every day because they were, like, you know, absolutely adamant. But, you know, I said, you know, here's the studies online. They've studied it. Can it have up to uh, 0.5% alcohol, just like near beer? Yeah, it does. It, it You know, it, it's... um. It, it's funny. One thing I wanted to, to uh, say, you know, while I was on the on the on the on the phone here is um we don't on our blog you know we write a lot of we try to be provocative and when we started the blog we we wanted to um eh, we wanted to pick a fight with some i mean we highlight people that we know could possibly come over to our blog and we wanted to get some sort of readership but we don't really pick on anyone that does deserve it i mean we generally the people we highlight are, are the, the abusive people that we we find around um, and, and we make a lot of generalizations about AAs because, you know, when you write something like this or when you talk, you have to speak in generalities. But not everyone who uh, – we don't believe everyone in AA is bad. In fact, I, I personally, I don't know about ILSA, and I can't speak for our readership. We have a lot of commenters on our blog. But it's but not everyone's a wingnut. Not everyone um, uh, is um, – is, is like we profile. We don't think that if you're an AA, you're a bad person, or even you should leave. If you're happy there, stick around. What we mm-hmm. want to do is just create some sort of awareness that a, a lot of these ideas, like the orange juice thing, the uh, you know, a lot of the uh, these belief systems that we have, they need to be questioned. They're they're um, you know that they're they're um, they're wrong. They're just they're flat out wrong. Or, or if they're not wrong, they 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 they've gone on they've gone unquestioned. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to just uh, you know create the create the conversation. These the orange juice conversation we just had would never happen in an AA meeting. It would. <laughs> well, I do have a lot of good friends who are members of AA, or more likely they're members of NA. Um, I did meet them through uh, meetings. But I met them because I work in harm reduction, and I've worked a lot in needle exchange, and I've done a lot of networking with other harm reduction organizations. Lots of people that do needle exchange are uh, members of a 12-step group. They're probably members of Narcotics Anonymous. But they say, you know, you have to give people clean needles, or they're going to get AIDS. They're going to get hep C. It's not going to help them to get better. You know, they don't need more consequences. They don't need more hitting bottom. They need to be Saved from consequences, you know, because right. you know the healthier they are, they are the easier it will be when the time comes that they do try to quit. And so, my friends from needle exchange and harm reduction programs who are 12-step members are just when they're doing harm reduction, they're completely non-judgmental of you know the people are still using and they don't preach AA to them. Well, that's what I mean. No, go ahead, Elsa. Go ahead. 
Oh, uh, yeah, I was just going to say that that's 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 really good to hear that it, I mean, not so much the preaching but that, you know, people who are involved in a and NA are also involved in harm reduction programs. But I have also heard that NA um I, I and I, I've never, I don't have any experience with NA, but I've heard from a lot of, you know, just hear, you know, what I hear around the internet, you know, people saying that it, that it's a much different atmosphere in NA than in AA. Yeah, I think within that culture, AA, I think there's some resentment. I hate to use that word, but there's some resentment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, toward the NA members that cross over into the AA groups. Um, you know, or, or at least with the the more old school, back to basic type of AA groups that I, I guess AA God thinks only alcoholics are special and other addicts don't belong there. They have to be in their meetings. I, I, I'm, I've never understood how God could, uh, you know, would, would want you in separate meetings. Why it can't just be all encompassing? But apparently it is. So. Well, I would say I don't think the majority of people in NA are supportive of harm reduction. They probably would say it's an outside issue if you brought it up in a meeting. But I know that a lot of people, um, a lot of people were consumers at Needle Exchange before they quit using. They quit using through a 12-step program. So, I mean, they find it compatible for them. I, I totally respect, you know, their right to choose their way to quit. And, you know, I don't argue with them, you know ever say that, you know, that's the wrong way to do it. No, whatever. If it works for you, I respect your right to have your own beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. Way, we just don't want it being imposed on people through the courts. Absolutely. Um, you know, we want some we we want some alternative um some alternatives for people and there's there's really none. Where I live here there there really is none. If if someone had a drinking problem and needed a support group insisted on it, I'd tell them to go to AA that I'd have no choice. Or do it online, but um, yeah. uh, and I'm I'm not familiar at all with with drug addiction or or anything like that. Well, I would send people first to the online groups, the 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 uh, non twelve step groups. I mean, everybody's already heard of AA. You know, I don't have anybody that's ever come to me and said, oh, "Well, I never heard of AA." I said, "I tried it, I didn't <laughs> like it." Yeah, well, yeah, you have to, you know. Got the brand. Go ahead, Elsa. Oh, I was going to say that when you have, you know, Dr. Drew, who's, you know, America's favorite addiction expert, saying, uh, you know, he doesn't believe that someone can, will actually get well unless they do the 12 steps, you know, that's not that doesn't help with the conversation, you know. I mean, when, you know, you've got cultural icons out there who are saying stuff like that, then it just it just it makes that more normal and makes all of that stuff less you know people are less likely to scrutinize it I think or explore options. Yeah, I mean you know until we actually until I had quit drinking and until we had actually started this blog and I'd done some research I really had no idea um, uh, how uh, that the prevailing. Uh, belief system was based on you know religious mm-hmm. faith healing mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I had no idea so when I you know I'd see someone like Dr. Drew you know he's a doctor he's on television he's got you know you make some assumptions you, you assume that Dr. Drew knows what he's talking about yeah and, I assumed um, when I went to the hospital that you know I was getting some medical treatment 
No, that was, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I, I, I have a friend here. He's a he's a doctor, and uh, uh, I had the, a, a conversation with him a few months ago about this very thing. He knows nothing himself about addiction. He knows nothing himself about, about treatment, mm-hmm. or really doesn't understand anything about AA. They don't teach him these things in medical school. Yeah, yeah. And, well, we and, we are. Yeah, they don't. I'm sorry. Uh, we are. Getting past the halfway mark now, I think that Liz Michael is here. I'm going to try and bring her on the air. Hello, Liz, is that you? Yeah, good evening, Ken. How are you? I'm doing very good. Okay, I'm going to wrap up really quickly with our people from Stinkin' Thinking here. Guys, thank you so much for being on the show. Any last words? No, thank you, Ken. Thank you, Ken. Okay. Good Good night. Good night. Okay, Liz, how are you doing? Tell us a little bit about the Moderate program. Okay, um, thanks for having me on the show tonight. I was listening to the Thinking Thinking folks, and um, it's really an interesting topic that I could probably share my own insight for like, oh, I don't know, half a day probably. But um, the Moderate program is actually um, developed to help people learn to drink in moderation or to take control of their drinking without abstinence or an AA type of a program. Um, It consists of three basic components. It's a dietary supplement, um, a workbook, and an online support group. Okay, tell us a little bit about the supplement. What is it? What is in it? Okay, the dietary supplement is basically a, a blend of amino acids that function as negative neurotransmitters in the brain. Um, it was developed based on some work that I had read by Daniel Amen and Kenneth, Kenneth Bloom that talked about amino acids and the role of, of negative neurotransmitters in, um, in addiction and brain chemistry. And so Moderate, what it does, is it, it's, a, it's a combination. The primary ingredients are GABA, which is um, gamma aminobutyric acid, and 5-HTP, which is the precursor to serotonin. Essentially what, what the moderate does is to help to relieve feelings of stress um, and anxiety. Um, and it also helps to produce a, sort of a calm, pleasant effect that when people drink in combination with it, um, it enables them to achieve, I guess, the, the, the feeling that, that they're trying to accomplish more quickly um, enabling them to, to sip slowly and feel satisfied with, with fewer drinks. Um, but it's not a magic bullet. It's not the panacea. It will not make somebody not want to drink. It's um, intended to be used in conjunction with some behavioral modification tools, which is what the workbook is supposed to be for. Okay, tell us a little bit about the workbook. What's uh, inside that? Okay. Um, you know, The primary objective for me with the workbook is to help people to begin to think differently about alcoholism, especially the people that have been around AA or have heard that, you know, alcoholism is a disease, there's nothing they can do about it. If if they have it, they're doomed. One drink's going to send them off to, you know, ultimate death, and that's just not the case. Um, What people need to find, I believe, is a reason not 
to drink, so to speak. And I don't mean focus on drinking as the problem. I mean focus on the solution being being the person that they want to be without a drinking problem. So in other words, um, within the workbook there are some uh, opportunities to set personal life goals, um, whether it be health goals, uh, professional goals, um, hobbies, things like that, that, that they may feel like they're they're stuck in a place where the only thing that they have to turn to is alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so it's about developing um, a way out of the rut that they're in, something to look forward to. And if you have something to look forward to, goals that you have in place, you tend not to want to drink so much because drinking gets in the way of those goals. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part of the workbook, and this is this is pretty key, is that, you know, for a long time I thought to myself, what takes the place of alcohol? I mean, really, what makes me feel the same as drinking? And, and in all honesty, nothing. But, <laughs> you know, the truth is there are some, some very healthy, um, much more beneficial alternatives to, to alcohol that while they may not produce the exact same feeling, um, they can take the place of it. And, and for instance... You know, somebody's looking for relaxation or something for stress relief. Um, then there's things that they can do as an alternative to that, such as you know, meditation, um, sitting outside, taking a walk in the woods, things like that to help bring on that, that tranquil, calm, peaceful feeling that they may be looking for when they when they drink. The other thing is, you know, sometimes we drink just because we're bored. We have no other mm-hmm. idea what to do because we've gotten in such a rut, such a routine to drink to to feel to fill the time or to feel better that we forget what we used to do for entertainment, healthy entertainment. Um, you know, gardening, cooking, um, fishing, things like that, that that people seem to lose track of because they're filling all their empty time with with alcohol. And then the other thing is just how to be productive. Um, maybe start a new business. Um, write a book, you know, things like that. So so in the in the workbook, there's an opportunity to come up with these, these alternatives to drinking and put them down in a, in a worksheet, in a place where they can put their hands on when they're thinking to themselves, God, I'm just going to drink because I can't think of anything else to do, or God, I need a drink because I'm so stressed. They can go and look at the list and say, oh, yeah, this is what I can do instead, and do that. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, that... Do you think a lot of people uh, that drink too much that uh, they use it to cope with some underlying issues? It's a coping mechanism for things, you know. Yep, absolutely, and that's another part of the workbook too: is identifying triggers and and dealing with baggage. I mean, there are, there are people out there that have some stuff that they are carrying around that may, they might not even realize, you know, abuse from childhood. Um, a death of a lo- of a loved one, some guilt that they think that perhaps it's it's you know their own fault that something happened in their past. Well, I do believe that sometimes situations like that require help from a mental health professional or somebody that can mm-hmm. you know bring that out and help them realize that you know how to get healed and how to let that go. Um, but I also know that there are there are triggers that tend to sort of set us up for drinking. Um, you know, even habits, coming home from work. The it, It's almost like Pavlov's dog. It's like, well, if I stop by the pub and have a couple beers, then I'll feel better. And 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 so 
you begin to associate leaving work with going to the pub. Or a lot of women I talk to, it's the witching hour, it's time to make dinner, have my glass of wine, or two, or five, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, again, it's going through the exercise of being mindful, identifying these things, and putting together the plan for how to deal with those triggers before they happen. So, in other words, if I know that when I get off work, I'm going to want to go to the pub, going to the gym is a whole lot more productive. You get rid of the stress. You get in better shape. (laughs) And it helps, you know, the the mental attitude as well. Mm -hmm. I also think, you know, as I was listening to your previous show and and some of your other shows that that you had, um, we, we as human beings tend to be very... Um, susceptible to suggestion, the power of suggestion. And when we hear things like, well, you know, alcoholics can't control their drinking. Once they drink out of control, there's no turning back. Um, to, even to the extent that I had um, a member of, of a support group who had been moderating their drinking for, you know, a good year or so, um, just happened to be talking to a lady who was. A 25 veteran of AA, she was a therapist, and she told this member that, you know, no, it's impossible to learn to drink in moderation. Once you're an alcoholic, if you've been to AA, and obviously you have, and you've got a drinking problem, there's no way that you can really drink in moderation and control it. Well, guess what? This person went back out, (laughs) started drinking, you know, five, six, nine drinks a day, thinking, Oh my gosh, I you know, I can't I really can't control it. I'm an alcoholic. This is what I'm predisposed to do. She called me and told me about it and I said, "Look, you know, what has changed between now and before? How you're thinking, and that's the only thing." Mm-hmm. So she went back to doing what she knew worked, you know, dealing with the triggers, having a plan in place, doing her drinking plan, taking her dietary supplements, taking moderate if, if that was what she chose to, to take. And now she's drinking back moderately but you know that's that's something that people have to be very aware of and that's the power of suggestion labels shame and so on that um often come with the you know the the label of alcohol ick which i I try to stay away from that alcoholic is you know way too negative of a label because how do you define alcoholic Mm -hmm. i'm going to go back and mention again, I talked about this before, the NIAAA published a paper in their magazine called Spectrum. Uh, the title of the paper is Alcoholism Isn't What It Used to Be. And if they're online, the full, the full text is online, available, just Google it. And I was talking before, you know, the 75% of people resolve their alcohol problem and 75% of those who do resolve it, resolve it without AA or a rehab, that, that's when you do the math, that's 56%. Resolve it without yeah. AA or rehab. And the other number that they found that was really interesting was, and these are all people that fit the criteria for alcohol dependence in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Uh, just over half of them resolved the problem by cutting back instead of quitting completely. And just slightly less than half decide that quitting completely is their best option. So this is the biggest research project, you know, the biggest survey that our government's done on this uh, whole topic, and this is the result. 
Well, you know, the, the truth is, for, for some people, for many people, abstinence, if that is the choice, is easier in mm-hmm. many cases than, than trying to drink in moderation. Um, the problem is when people choose abstinence because they think that they are powerless over alcohol and that's their only their only choice. Um, because it it can be learned, the skills can be, you know, adopted and and developed it just takes work and and the willingness to really to to do some work now i wanted to ask you um for the people that come to your program do many of them eventually decide to choose abstinence instead of moderation um i've only seen one choose abstinence and it was because um he, he honestly felt that that was the best solution and and not because he felt that he was you know powerless so to speak, but that it just just felt better for him to to choose that. Um, what we usually do within within the group is, is support each other on days of on day on abstinence days or alcohol free days, mm-hmm. where where that's the goal is to to have um, days without alcohol, learning how to, to deal with, with life and cope with, with the situations that we would usually um, drink to deal with. And and what happens is you begin to realize how much better you feel with a clear head <laughs> the next day after an alcohol-free day. Mm-hmm. So, so that's sort of the trend that, that, you know, I'm starting to see more and more among our group at least. So do you think they're doing more alcohol-free days? Um, you know, I think ultimately if if alcohol-free days are chosen because it makes somebody's life better, you know, because they um they feel better about themselves, about their they're more energetic, they're able to think more clearly, work on the projects that they want to work on and so on, which is, gets back to what I said in the very beginning of the show, focusing on the solution, which is living the life, being the person that they want to be, period, whether it involves alcohol or not. And then it just so happens that drinking does not support those new you know, values or goals. So how long has your program been around? Um... I actually launched the product, um, and, and the workbook wasn't with it, but I but I put some of the um, the tips and um, strategies online in September of 2009. So we're going on two years now. Okay, what's your website? The website is www.moderatenow.com. Com. So it's M-O-D-E-R, the numeral 8, N-O-W, dot com. Okay, good. I think I also put a link from the show description here to the website. I, I hope I did. I meant to. I think it's there. So um, okay. tell us some more about what's the, what's the support group like? It's um, online support only? It's it's online support only and it's anonymous and it's private. Um the way I have it set up right now is is only 
um, customers that have purchased, it's a, a three or six month starter kit, we call it. That means um, three or six bottles of Moderate plus the workbook, um, or else they're, they're repeat customers. And the reason why I put that, that criteria on there is because I want people that are serious about working on a program. They're not just looking for a magic bullet or a quick fix with a, with a pill to, to fix them. Um, and so the, these are the, the people that automatically have um, access to the online support community. But, it, but like I said, it's private. You can only read the posts and get online um, with um, an invitation. But I also, you know, I, I've told some of these other people about about your forum as well, about the hamsnetwork.org, because... Um, because even if, if, if moderate the, the capsules or the supplement isn't necessarily working for them, but they want to look at how to you know, gradually reduce the amount that they drink or to find some other support in some other areas, um, I, I know I've had some comments from someone that have said that, that your site is, is very helpful. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. How did you get involved in this? What motivated you? Um, well, I I've had a drinking problem since I was a teenager, basically. Um, I guess I was twelve the first time I got intoxicated, and, um, and from the very beginning, it was just I thought, you know, I had, I had found Nirvana. <laughs> um, but the problem was that um, I was a binge drinker, and so any time I drank, I drank. I drank too much. Of course, I was a teenager. I couldn't drink every day. And I did well in school. I mean, it's not that I was a um, a, a bad kid or anything, but, but alcohol definitely was, was my my go button. Um, I got suspended for drinking on campus, even though I was the president of student council. Um, you know, later I got a DUI when I was in my early 20s. And finally, after going to... Uh, a, a counselor that my parents had found for me, and they basically said that I was an alcoholic. I, that my only real alternative was to go to AA. <laughs> I went to AA, and um, and I went to AA for a couple of years. Um, but I also, you know, I bought into that that concept that one drink would send me to to death, and that I couldn't hang out with anybody that was outside of AA. Um, after a couple of years, I started thinking to myself, you know. How come people can eat food even though they have an eating disorder or mm-hmm. they're addicted to food? And, and it dawned on me that, well, maybe it's not the substance. Maybe it's the skills and the ability to learn how to control it. Maybe there's some other stuff that needs to, to be addressed. So um, I kept looking around and, you know, I looked at um, papers that have been done on the, on the neurotransmitters, um, the, the scientific studies on the physiological aspects of, of alcoholism. And then I and I've been looking at the um the behavioral as well. I mean one of the my great turning points was um was Scott Miller's book, the um the miracle what is Miracle Method. Yeah. The miracle method, exactly. And and it was basically this. It was you know, if a miracle were to happen and, you know, you wake up and you don't have a drinking problem anymore, what would your life look like? Well, essentially, that's focusing on the solution, not focusing on the drinking, the problem. 
Mm-hmm. So I guess a combination of all these various different things um, sort of led me into developing the, the formulation for moderate and then putting together, you know, the, the strategies and the, and the techniques uh, that are in the workbook. Okay, good. I'm hoping to have Scott Miller on as a guest. I talked to him. Probably we're going to do it late in August or early September. I know he's doing a large training in Chicago, the training of trainers in early August. So, but mm-hmm. uh, I've talked to him and he says he's interested in being a guest. You know, after his yeah. time brief up a little bit. Yeah, because I've been reading his other book, uh, The Heroic Client, and I think the whole client-directed outcome-informed. Client-directed outcome-informed approach is very interesting and very useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have not read that. I would like to read it. I um, actually Scott and his network is is um, how I found you and your network. So. Oh, that's, that's kind of right. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the 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 ICCE. We hooked exactly. Up there. Yeah. Right. So what else is going on with you these days? Well, I um, I'm finishing up a book, not a not a workbook, but a, but a full out book. And, and you know, the funny thing is that I um, the reason why I put the workbook together instead of a book initially is because I remember when I was first looking for help, um, you know, and wandering around the internet and bookstores in a hangover in this fog, there was no way in the world I was going to read something for very long, because I just didn't have the clarity of mind in order to even comprehend the words that were on the page. But since then, I, I can see an opportunity for um, a little bit more information behind some of the exercises and, and some of the strategies that that I have in the workbook. So. Hopefully in a, in a couple of months I'll have a, have a book out. Um, and then, you know, from there I want to sort of branch out and turn the, the concept of, of moderation into other aspects besides just alcoholism, um, you know, weight control, stress management, and so on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, how, how about, uh, should I even mention this? How about other substances? Um, we've got a lot of things out there like marijuana, and other drugs that you know, there 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 should be some support for moderation for these because you know it's people do control their marijuana use. Yeah, you know, I'll have to find somebody to partner with on that because I I, I honestly don't have enough experience in, in that realm. But but definitely that's that's something that um that needs to be pursued and to added into the uh, the concept of of moderation. Well, it's, you know, our whole media has set us up on this uh, idea about uh, such a stigmatization of drug users. And uh, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the show we did on crack, but, uh, you know, you were talking to some experts there. And, you know, they say, well, quite a number of people that use crack cocaine use it in a controlled manner. They're not addicted. You know, they they do. We, we didn't decide if it was the majority that are addicted or the majority are controlled users, but many, many controlled users are out there, and this is like what we say, oh, that's the horror, the horror drug, the crack. Yeah. Yeah, definitely media would not have you to believe that. But that that's even possible. Mm-hmm. And heroin, too. Lots of people chip heroin. They'll use heroin once a week, and, you know, they don't use it during the work week. They use it on the weekend. And stop. I mean, 
people. Yeah, you know, in, in the you know online shopping, there's there's a there's a lot of um, addictions out there that honestly, you know, just just go unaddressed because of the taboo nature or or that it's you know comical or, or whatever. But um, it all does fit into the the basic same category. Yeah, I mean, some things can be hard to control. I mean, as I've said, I don't try to control cigarette smoking. I quit cigarettes. It's just not its not fun to smoke one cigarette a day. It's not of interest to me. I said, you know, if somebody would pay me $100 a day to smoke one cigarette a day, then I would do it. But <laughs> right. There's no reward there. I mean, I can smoke a cigar once a week, and then I kind of sit down and relax, and it's a whole different mindset. And that that I do enjoy. So there is some controlled nicotine use, but you know, just for cigarettes, I just don't find it's, it's, it, there's no attraction there, and it's so hard to control. I mean, because it's not right. just the, it's not just the drug; it's also the delivery mechanism. You know, mm-hmm. c- cigarettes give you a real quick bang of nicotine. Mm-hmm. It's really hard goes straight into your brain because it goes straight through your lungs. You know, when you smoke a cigar, you don't inhale. It's a very gradual thing. It's very a totally different experience. It's far less addictive because of the delivery system. Right. Yep. Well, you know, and that's the other thing about about alcohol is um, is a lot of people turn to alcohol because they can so quickly achieve the effect that they're they're trying to achieve without a whole lot of work. Just grab a bottle, slam it down. You know, in, in a few minutes, you're you're you have the the achieved effect versus, you know, getting on the treadmill or or doing a little bit of of effort in, in another way. It's about that instant gratification. Mm-hmm. Even with alcohol, people you know will find it easier to control drinking beer than uh, drinking whiskey because you know whiskey yes. goes to your brain so quickly. You know. That's exactly right, and and that's one of the tools too is, um, you know, alternating non-alcoholic drinks in between in between alcohol drinks um sipping sipping slowly actually being mindful of the taste of the beverage that you're trying to consume versus trying to you know reach a coma as fast as possible (laughs) well it looks like we're just about out of time thank you very much liz for being our guest tonight thank you ken i enjoyed it okay so our website is hamsnetwork.org. We're free of charge, lay that support group for anyone who wants to make a positive change in your drinking, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. The book is How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available on Amazon. Or for more information, go to hamsnetwork.org slash book. Next week, our guests will be Dr. Gabor Mate, who wrote In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. He's worked with uh, Insight, the safe injection facility in Vancouver, and with the Portland Hotel Society up there, which uh, does harm reduction housing. And our second guest will be Elizabeth Dick, who is also a Canadian, and she has, she's with the University of Saskatchewan and has studied the history of LSD treatment for alcoholism which uh, was very interesting and controversial in the 1960s, and may just have some, uh, may just have some really good positive effects to help people stop their drinking problems. And thank you, everyone, and good night. Thanks. Good night.